Welcome to Paddle Power, your inside look into the world of paddle in Australia and around the world. Welcome to the second episode of 2023. We made it through the first one, thankfully. On today's show, we're going to be talking about various things paddle, as always, particularly growth of paddle around the world, the recent Oz Paddle Tour events, which uh, we've just had a big one in Sydney, upcoming growth of Aussie clubs, what it's going to look like in the next 12 to 18 months. We've got a good snapshot of how many clubs. Matty B is going to talk about the main clubs he's built, and we're also going to bring a guest on the show today. We're going to have Roscoe from KDV Sport talking about the club that he's not only set up, but just running successfully. And finally, we're going to run through some of the key points about running, building and operating a club using my recent experience, Matty B's and also Roscoe's. I suppose I'd better introduce my right-hand man, left-hand man, I'm not really sure. Matty Burrell, as always, good to have you. How are you today, mate? Mate, I'm really good. Thanks for having me on the show again. I'm getting used to the back and forthing with you each month. So it's-, it's a fantastic opportunity to talk about and spread the good word of paddle around the world, mate. So yeah, it's great being here. Totally. Hey, that was a good segue. Growth of paddle around the world. You said it right there. Do you want to talk about some of the uh, the recent things that have been happening worldwide I'll start you off what about the fact that there's going to be a women's paddle tour now guitar sports have announced that recently right yeah the premier paddle tour which is the let's say preeminent tour it's the fifth official tour if you like so it's the official tour of the, of the governing body of paddle and yeah they've introduced a women's league this year last year there was no women's league about time obviously and we're very happy to have that going on so yeah that's going to be fantastic and catching up with the real world and that's awesome as well so that's kicking off this year the other key points to mention i guess the pro paddle league in the usa so usa has lagged a bit behind in the growth of paddle a bit like australia in one sense it's gone bananas we know in the, in, in europe south america and now heading into asia usa have put a, a pro paddle league in place so that's owners of our teams in six or seven different cities including las vegas with the famous casino maloof family and a few other big names involved now pickleball have done a very similar thing as you probably yeah. saw they've had some great press about that as well so paddles hit back and done their own version of pro league quite a few australians actually in our local tour here applied for that they do a draft system that was on the other night none of the aussies got in they have two players out of their eight players are allowed to be internationals but as you can imagine if you're running a team in the usa of six usa players and you only get two internationals you're going to pick up a couple of spaniards on the back of that because there's there's a hell of a players over there and a really deep history over there. Yeah, that'd be like the dream team getting the Spaniards and the Argentinians playing for you. I read about the women's tour and they said that already 110 women had signed up. So there's obviously a large amount of interest in that area. And something for the listeners, ESPN has it on in 180 territories and B in Sports, I think, is the provider for Australia. So if you want to pick up the the Paddle Tour, that's where you can watch it live. Speaking about the States and China, that Paddle 22 report that you shared with me, talking about trends and stats across the world of Paddle, I said the biggest obstacle that Paddle has is they've got a lot of countries involved, much more than pickleball, but they haven't got the big players yet they haven't got the states and they haven't got china and when those two markets drop that's when things will really start happening for paddle that's it mate that's it paddles very strong in the u.s in the segments with the large latino population because those populations stem through mexico and south america 
and obviously over in Spain and Europe. So that's Miami. That's the southern states. It's not big up north in the US yet, but you find that the belt around the south side is picking up. Miami's got, I think, eight clubs now. Pretty they have about 30 clubs over the next two years. So they're, they're tracking very well. They've just got a new super club called The Reserve. People are coming in via mega yachts. People are coming in via helicopters. Yeah. It's an absolute mega club going on there. So they've, they've picked up the pace over there in Miami recently as well. Awesome. That's why I love talking to you because you know all sorts of stuff. I, I had no idea of any of that. So you have a bit of an idea about Vegas, right? Yeah, we had the World Championship of the Seniors over there last year. Aussie men came in 13 out of the uh, 18 teams. The women came came in I think last of the 18 teams but we had to get through the other let's say there's 100 countries now playing paddle rugby you had to qualify through that in the first place we're sort of ranked about 18 in the world now in, in the women's event in the seniors world and we're ranked about 13 in the world for the men so we're making some headway and we're getting there yeah that's awesome hey so we've spoken about what's happening in the growth around the world with paddle what about the growth of the Aussie clubs I know you're across how many clubs well we're both across how many clubs there are now but how many clubs in the next 12 to 18 months do you think that we'll be looking at? So we've just done that analysis and we're talking about clubs that are in planning now or in construction now. Planning is in getting council government approval for the for the club. We're pretty sure there'll be, there's 25 courts right now in Australia, 23 clubs and two private. This time next year, we expect another 25. So we're doubling over the next 12 months. And then again, the following year, another 25 again. So work on an average of four courts per club. In three years time, we'll be at 100 courts across 25 clubs, which is a huge uptake from our current six clubs and 25 courts now. They're the metrics. And when we first merged Paddle Australia in with Tennis Australia about a year ago, we had on our books approximately five to seven years to get to 100 courts. So that should pick up in, in three to four years. So we're we trim that in by you know half the time time frame on that. Things pretty exciting, and we're finally caught on fire now. And all the clubs, you know, from your club, Maddie, there, all the clubs now really are filling the uptake now and getting full and talking about expansion now. So things have really turned the corner. I think the tipping points just come over the last three to six months, maybe after the Aussie Open, or who knows why. But the words got out, and these clubs are getting fuller and fuller and fuller now. So big money's about to come into Australia at the moment. Totally, and and you can you can see the grass well. You know, it's it's. Silly of us not to mention the tournament in Sydney just a couple of weekends ago as a perfect example. There was part of the paddle tour, the national paddle tour, got 150 participants, 15 teams of which were women, which is doubled from the previous 12 months. And you and I both played, and it's worth mentioning that it was the hottest four days in March in 165 years. It was absolutely brutal. It was an amazing event. And the, the standard of paddle, even from when I've started being involved in paddle in Australia, has just gone through the roof. Fair thought for the redheads out there like myself in 40 degrees. <laughs> Absolute nightmare for me out there. Put about SPF 400 on to get through the through each of the uh, days. We were sweating in the tent, weren't we? <laughs> it was hot. But to be fair, I mean, all participants played through. If that was a tennis tournament, they would have suspended play because it was that hot. Paddle guys and girls trooped through. We had a fantastic tournament. As you mentioned, the level of play was the best it's ever been. And it seems like everyone's willing now to travel to the Aussie Paddle Tour events. Yeah. What's coming out of the woodwork now is a lot of tennis players and AFL and other sports as well are all getting involved now at a, at a tournament level and a participation level. So... Um, in the Aussie Paddle Tour, you get three points for playing in the in, in the Open Division. You get two points for playing in the B Division and, and one point for playing in the C. So you get an Australian ranking regardless of your level of ability, which means you're on the map. And that's one difference between tennis and, and paddle, which I think is important to mention, that the Aussie Paddle Tour generates 
a ranking across the board. So we're all about participation here rather than just elite top level. So it's really important to make that point that that's a point of differentiation for the sport, that everyone gets involved in these cattle events, whether it's A, B or C. And it's a real social atmosphere, as you know, even it was super hot, absolute festival atmosphere down there in Paddle, Sydney, and uh, Scott and Richard running, running the show down there with Luke and Ellie, and it was an absolutely amazing tournament despite the heat. It was such a good tournament, such a good vibe, and everyone, yeah, sort of rallied because of the heat, didn't they? Um, you've just given me some really good advice there. I'm going to enter the A's, B's, C's, women's, and I'm going to get in the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment here at all. You can do whatever you need to do, and uh, we welcome all. Yeah. Okay. So we should just give a special mention to our winners, right? So in in the ladies, Lexi and Sarah battled in the heat, won in, uh, I don't even know what it was, but it was in the third set tiebreak, right? Battlefield battle out there. And they were playing Gemma and Mahiva. Mahiva is a top player and she hasn't played for a while. She's been from the Gold Coast, re-ended the fray, come on down and she hits the ball so hard. Her skill level is super high. Play with Gemma from the Gold Coast. Now really lost out to Lex and Sarah who are both sort of A-level tennis players who've converted across. So tennis players beat out the paddle players this time because the tennis players are learning to play more paddly, if you like, over time. It's uh, it's so interesting to watch the, 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 paddle, the, the hardcore paddle players taking on the converse in tennis, and that's where the sport gets to in the future, I think, for Australia. Totally. And, and in the men's, obviously, Tim and Andrea won on the day. Poor old Roscoe and his partner, like, they battled the heat for a huge quarterfinal win, then a semifinal win. Ross ran out of the cage 20 times. That's got to take it out of you. Uh, and the celebrations afterwards every time must as well. You know, <laughs> like it, it looks like no matter who Tim plays with, he's going to win, right? Oh, Tim's like a sort of German tank. You just can't, you can't get, you can't get past him. He's an absolute stalwart of the, of the industry of paddling in Australia. He's come up fast and uh, he would spend 10 to 15 hours every week watching paddle videos, breaking them down, unpacking his own matches which he videos and figuring out a smarter way to do things and tim's off to the off to spain i think in a month or two to go and get even better over there and that's something we're seeing with other countries around the world you end up with the best players heading over to spain they do a stint over there and learn the spanish way to play if that's the thing and which it definitely is they come back twice as good a player so it's a it's a real difference over there going over spain and playing in europe now and it's a bit like the tour in tennis, I guess, in one respect, but we don't have the Aussie Open here like we do in tennis. So there's no circuit really in Australia comparable to the to, to overseas in Europe. And that's where the best players compete over there in Europe. So by the Premier Paddle Tour and the World Paddle Tour. So Tim's going over there to take a shot at that, which we wish him the best of luck with. We'll miss him here locally, but it may give the other players a chance to win a few tournaments all of a sudden. Huh. I love what you said at the start there, right? He's He's doing the most out of everybody. So it's no surprise that he's, you know, the number one player. Like it's, that's the talent's a myth. The, the harder you work, the more professional you are in your approach, the better over time you'll become. So he deserves that. Well done. Yeah, that's a great point because if you put Tim on the tennis court, I reckon most of the other top level players in Australia now may get him in a game of tennis, but he just has ability to transfer across and, and really go through the, the books and the videos and, and learn and take two steps back to go three steps forward. It's been unbelievable. I've got to give him a lot of credit for that. We're all good friends with Tim and he, everyone who knows Tim is he's an absolute, let's call him a, a philosopher of the industry. He's obsessed with paddle and yep. good luck to him for doing so. Well, we can't forget his partner, Andrea, either, obviously, who's who's an Italian who came over here with some world, world ranking points. He's mm -hmm. in Australia now. He's a super handy player. I think he runs north to 100 in about 9.9 .9 seconds. He's pretty wow. quick. 
and uh, Tim for the first time uh, played with Andre this year. Last year he played and won every tournament. I think it was except for one with um, Yarrick. So those guys split up this year to sort of try and date other partners, if you like. Yeah, and, give everyone uh, else a chance. Uh, yeah, whatever, give everyone else a chance. And uh, Tim's won it again here. So fantastic from that. And again, you mentioned Roscoe and Tony. Tony's the, the, the coach, the new coach yep. from overseas. Exciting player to watch too, right? Great player to watch. Absolute gun. Has every trick shot you can imagine. Awesome to watch. And you mentioned also Roscoe out of cage. <laughs> used to be one one shot a match would be yeah. running out of cage, putting the ball back in. Roscoe must have hit seven out of cage shots, slamming it back straight into the net. And it was it's such a pleasure to watch. So the level of pleasure watching now has skyrocketed because the level of skill has skyrocketed, especially the out of cage play. So... I think that the crowd's on edge the whole time and the crowd builds up to watch these big matches now. So it's, you know, the crowd all size was also probably triple what it was last year. So things are really skyrocketing in terms of metric. Totally. I reckon if you hung around KDV, you'd see someone uh, feeding Roscoe all those trick shots. He's got plenty of time on court. He just, uh, you know, <laughs> that stuff doesn't come by accident. He was out that cage quick, quick as a rabbit. He is quick. And uh, we'll give Roscoe a rev up when we get him on the call later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good highlight reel. What we're going to talk about today, one of the big things to talk about was, you know, what it takes to build a club, not only from a from a construction point of view, but, you know, operationally and, and how to successfully create that club, get it up and running and really run a paddle business. We are going to have Roscoe on a bit later. Probably not many people know that obviously you've done that a couple of times yourself, right? probably not in the construction sort of element as much, but, you know, you've been the architect from ground zero and, and got, what, one or two clubs up and running? Yeah, I would say I'm the guy holding the hammer, to be honest, but I've got a couple of clubs up and running. I got one up and running in the south of France. We did one in Italy. We got one going in England and got the original Paddle Sydney going and I helped Roscoe set up the club in the Gold Coast. So I've been around a couple of clubs setting them up and there's two main elements, which I'll I'll, I'll jump back to you in a second, but there's a construction element, which is all about the preparation of the land and the court build and, and getting the site in the first place. And then there's the operational part, which is how you make a successful club once you're up and running. So there's two, one's running a business and one's building the club. And there's two very separate parts. You, Matty, are obviously you've been in the building industry for a long time and you take a very, very close approach to getting clubs built. You built the Melbourne club, I think, personally, and you had a bit of help, obviously, there as well. And also you're helping out our friends, Aaron and Mark, down at Orby right now, building building another club. So... And that's in the middle of the construction right now, isn't it? Yep, sure is. Yeah, really feeling the depths of, you know, what's involved in building a club from scratch out there. We've built it on a dirt patch. You know, it hasn't been a concrete base ready to go. And it's never easy, you know, like we're going through, you know, the building stages and ring beams and asphalt. You know, it's it's a mission. It really is a mission. But getting out the other side's what we're looking forward to and, and having Mark and Aaron up and operating. We'll have them on the show next month. They'll have big smiles on their face because they'll be trading. And Matty, what would you say the key items are to building the first phase as successful club i mean obviously you've got to find the right site which is the number one thing to do and the hardest thing yeah. to do yeah. at the moment with this sport finding a site's difficult because you're competing with developers but once you found the site and let's talk about tennis operators out there now or yeah. operators who want to independently build a paddle club they're trying to find sites right now 
once they've found the right site, what's the next step in the process from a build, 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 build the club perspective? See, I would always, let's say they think they've got the right site or I think I've got the right site. Get a builder to go and have a look at the site with them because they're going to see things that you don't see. You know, you're, you're choosing the site based on commercial reasons, probably mostly, you know, where it's situated, et cetera, et cetera. You know, a builder's going to say, oh, look, there's there's already an existing car. That base is not suitable. You know, have you thought about the fact that you're going to have to cut into the concrete slab and run 150 meters of power underground? You know, you're up for 100 grand with that. You know, like there's lots and lots of little things that you want to be aware of before you sign a lease, I think. And then even just a basic soil test, if, you, if you're going to have construction going there. So, you know, I think that's step one. A lot of people I know, and I've, I don't know, five or 10 people over the years building out their club from a distance, they don't budget in the site works. And that's something where you're, you're a tennis club, you're taking down the tennis nets and, and the original synthetic grass. In Albury, I know we're doing a ring beam, which basically means we're doing a ring of concrete around. You've got to bind those glass courts in, into the ground somehow, which means you're, you're, you're belting in, a bolt, I think 120 millimetres, 12 centimetres in. So you need a 200 millimetre or 20 centimetre base of concrete underneath that as a minimum. And you've got to build that around. So people don't factor in probably about 20 grand roughly if you do a full concrete base under your paddle court um, to do that. If you're on existing tennis courts or something like that, like a car park, for example, you can get away with doing a ring beam, which saves you a lot of that concrete cost. That 20 grand to be trimmed back to 5 to 10K, I think, which saves a lot of money when you're talking on a port per court basis, aren't you? I'm not going anywhere near your prices. Just just FYI. Um, I reckon it's yeah, it's probably probably double that. But you know, in Australia, I'd say a good rule of thumb to work on is is for your base and your court, if you're getting any change out of a hundred grand, you're doing well. Yeah, I was gonna say that I, I think it's around depending on which supplier you talk to, they're all around the same amount anyway, and they all wind up the at the end of the day at the same amount. And I'm with you on that. The only way you sell that, save that concrete money, which I put down there is, I marked that down as about 20 grand. It could be 30 grand depending on other parts of site work. I mean, I put a paddle court into my house and I spent 45 grand. That's more like where I'd be sitting, yeah. And that's one court. So yep. you get the cruiser scale of obviously building more than one court and that trims back a bit, but not much. Concrete is, is, is a sort of cubic meter cost. So you wind up paying that for concrete regardless. So the only way to save that, Matty, is when you go and get a paddle court sitting in an industrial complex. So in a factory, for example, industrial area, you can smack it straight on there because they're used to having heavy vehicles rolling around there already. So you save the concrete and you can sort of trim away. Let's call it from a hundred grand back to around 70, 75 grand, you, you'd imagine, would you? Totally. And that's exactly what happened at the Docklands. We had a, you know, we had a concrete slab, a brand new concrete concrete slab to work on top of and that's again you know that's that huge plus that a builder will say to you hey this this base in on this site is suitable the one around the corner you're gonna have to put a new base and so it's just it's a no-brainer so okay so we've we've talked about construction we talked about you know ring beams and and what's involved in groundworks but Really, that planning phase, engineering, that little piece is is also really important because this is where I think a lot of people get tripped up is in Australia, it's not like overseas in, throughout Europe. Like we are a bit of a nanny state and there's lots of rules and regs in order to be able to get the approval, not only from a planning perspective, from a building perspective to build paddle courts. You have to get a whole list of uh, engineers, soil tests, 
you know, a set of set of plans, and then you start the process with the councils. That planning phase is also probably three to six months. That's exactly right, Maddie. And I can tell you from my experience, people forget about that part. Council won't approve your project unless you've got an engineered signed certificate saying that your courts are designed and built two parts of that to Australian standards. And a lot of people think they're going to go over and buy the courts in Spain, have them shipped over here, and they're all fine. They're the European standards. And Australian standards add a lot more layers on top, which means cost on top. And that's the issue that we have right now in Australia with these, let's not call them rogue operators, but suppliers from overseas, let's say it's in Italy or it's Spain, selling these courts at around 25000 Australian dollars plus shipping, bring them in. But they're not designed or built to Australian standards. When they get to Australia, they get rejected by the engineer which means they can reject it for council, which means you can't get insurance, and then you're dead. So you've got to really talk to suppliers that have bought in courts before and built them in Australia before, because that's absolutely critical. Yeah, totally. All right, so we've, we've built our courts. We've got, we've got the club up and running. We're into the opening phase. We had all sorts of business planning models. We had lots of construction knowledge background ready to go. And so we got, we got open, but we hadn't given at all operationally as to how our club was going to run. We, in the first three to six months, court highs alone. And, and we were lucky. You know, we were really lucky. We had the Australian Open, had the paddle court in the same sort of month that we opened and we got passing trade and we got a nice flow on of our first clients. But to be honest, knowing what I know now, we would have a much bigger grading program in place before we even opened, you know, coaching programs, all the suppliers, uh, marketing, being able to offer social nights and, and really build a community. It's it slowly happened out at Docklands, but to be honest, it's been more luck than good design. The sort of fun just starts when you open the club because yeah. You need to really prepare that three months before you open, which is really when you're in construction phase anyway. And the general metrics are what I've learned from all the clubs around Australia, but also overseas. It's very similar. You can get 50 to 75. It's 75 active players or members. That's in regular players who play once every two weeks or once a week, regular players. You can only get 50 or 75 per court. At 50, it's okay. And between 5 p.m., and 10 p.m., let's say, when you shut the courts, courts off, you're pretty packed on week, week, weekdays and weekends at 50 per court. At 75, you can't get a court when you want to. So people start getting a bit upset. So the metrics are generally you end up, call it 50 per court. That's 200 members or active players per, for a four-court club. It's 200 active players. Your break-even normally for a club is around 100 active players or members. So whether you charge on play and play or whether you charge a membership fee per month, like Roscoe does at Paddle Gold Coast up there at KDV, you're roughly talking about you need to get 100 regular players into your four-court club and then you start hitting the break-even number and, and, and making money. And that's the key metric. So all the programs you're doing is to bring in regular members to play and from there, they then go into your regular tournament every month. They buy a racket once per year. They bring friends to go and do the pay and play before they become members if they're not, if, or they pay and play themselves. They get coaching, which you normally split with your coach 50-50 or your employer coach separately. And they're all the costs there. So that's the rough, rough and dirty in terms of, of numbers. You want to get 100 regular players in a four-court club or 50 per court. That's half the maximum. And that's where you're rolling in about break-even there. So that's your only goal opening your club is to get 100 regular players, pin your ears back, Go for that. When you get to that point, which you guys are out of Melbourne now, obviously, you can then start playing around with the programs and optimizing your club after that and think about expansion. But it's all about originally getting your programs in place, getting the marketing right, 
um, getting the software right. You guys went through different software, I think, in Melbourne there. Yeah. Getting your supplies yeah. right for your, for, your, for, your, for your rackets and, and your pro shop there. But that's all. they're all the things that, that um, somebody helping you set up your club in the first place can advise you on and, and kick along with it after that as well. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I'm sure Mike and Aaron don't mind me sharing this. They're up in Thurgoona, as you know, so big country town, probably not a lot of South American and you know European influence there. So they're really relying on the Aussie tennis community to get behind them. They've already got 150 people sign up to their app ready to start playing paddle. That's a pretty good result considering we've just put ring beams down, haven't even got one column up. They've had really good support from the local community and they've done an amazing job of marketing they've had tv already down at the site during construction they've got newspaper articles going and i think paddle's going to go bang in thurguna albury basically erin and mark are an absolute example of pre-marketing beasts those guys have been getting it hard from the beginning they're pushing it as you mentioned through tv they're at every event themselves they're running around doing so many things on the marketing side and they aren't stopping. So they've figured out, obviously, that for any, it's a small business you're opening here with a paddle club. So it's a small business. The pre-marketing phase, which they're in right now, they've absolutely nailed that. And they'll get 100 members out of that straight up. And they're kicking off day one at break even plus. So they're making cash flow day one. And then their job is to pay back their capital expense of those courts in the first place. And they're, and, they're, and they're set up. They'll nail that down. And most clubs get that done in three years, paying back the capital. Their break-even year one, Erin Aaron might be doing that on day one, which is an absolute credit to her and Mark for the way they operate over there. They're, they're you know they're relentless, and it's 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 a and you're right, it's not an easy place to get going over there. It's not like they're in in Melbourne with a multicultural no. community around them. It's it's unbelievable how 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 well they push that and how, how how smart they've been about the marketing side. Exactly, and and the thing I'm most interested in is whether they can pay their builder back. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a good job too over there, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, probably come to the point in the night where we're ready to speak to Roscoe from KDV Sports. We're going to get him on and we're going to give him a fair few questions about his club and KDV, how that's evolved. To be honest, that's a real state-of-the-art facility out at KDV and been going for a while now, but integrating with tennis, a little bit different as well. Um, so it'll be really good to hear his insights. And as you say, we'll have a chat to him about um, his performance in Sydney too, right? Yeah. Well, he did fall over the last hurdle on fitness, but he, he can't be blamed on that. He's probably the fittest guy. You know, he's a super fit guy, but the heat absolutely ate them up and they had to play their semi-final second before the final. So they had about, I don't know, half an hour break in between or something like that. And they're, they're absolutely cooked. It was, it was still a great, great effort from Roscoe there. Roscoe Taylor from KDV Sports slash Paddle Gold Coast on the line now. Are you there, Roscoe? Matt, Matt, how are you guys? Hello, mate. Good, mate. Good. We've already had a bit of a chat about you in your absence in regards to your fantastic effort over last weekend at Paddle Sydney on the Aussie Paddle Tour event yeah. where you got to the finals and we had to all deal with a 40-degree heat. We also yep. gave you a bit of a wrap in regards to you being the out-of-cage specialist. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good uh, pretty good name to have. There was some, yeah, there was some super highlights coming from the weekend. It was a... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, super enjoyable. But yeah, I spent probably more time out of cage than I did on the court, actually. Thanks for asking. Nick- Appreciate it. We need a nickname for you, Roscoe. Any listeners out there have a nickname, send them in. I first met Roscoe when I was involved in the setup of Paddle at KDV Sport, which, as you probably all know, is a, I would say, is, a, is it the largest privately owned academy or it's the largest academy 
tennis academy in Australia, I'd say, Roscoe. Yep, that's right. Yep, exactly. Yep. And I was there um, setting up the paddle side of things. Roscoe runs the performance side of tennis there as well. Then Roscoe has taken that club from strength to strength, all the way from the very beginning, all the way through to where it is today. And we had a couple of questions for you today, Roscoe, just, just to get a bit of insight and behind the scenes on what's going on with the club and sort of see your journey on the way through. Hasn't always been easy because you're one of the first clubs around in Australia was a bit behind on the world stage but I feel like now there's been a tipping point as we we're saying before on the show where a lot of people are coming in now that know what paddle already is without us having to go and market it in in the background but a couple of questions then when did you open the club yeah so the original courts were actually put in in 2016 which uh you were involved in when we were briefing I guess what a, an academy looked like uh we did a lot of research on European style academies this is KDB one of I guess the common themes that all these European academies had was they all had an alternate racket sport called paddle so that's when uh, I guess KDB uh we reached out to you and being the guy about paddle in Australia. And we originally put two doubles courts in and a singles court. Uh, that was in 2016. Growth was steady throughout that period. And then in the middle of COVID, I think it was 2020, September, I decided to personally invest and we transformed one of our existing tennis courts into two more paddle courts and we created a clubhouse with a communal deck area and a beer garden looking style i guess area from then it actually became a proper club uh, as you guys know i'm sure paddles all about the community you can create at the club we didn't quite do it with two courts but when we did the upgrades uh yeah we really actually we we nailed it and we have a, a thriving four court paddle club now You've got an awesome setup out there so we were talking a lot about this earlier about you know the different phases of building a paddle club operating a paddle club you've been involved in both processes what was the hardest thing for you about building or operating you know, what's, what's been your biggest challenge? Yeah, in, in all honesty, building the courts yeah. was the hardest. Um, and I think, Matt, Matt, you could agree with that as well. I Given, I guess, the, the stringent government guidelines and engineering standards, standards in Australia, plus the unknown of the sport itself, uh, that created a, a few hurdles along the way. In regards to the operational side, guys, I feel like the, the product of paddle almost sells itself. So from an operational point of view, it's pretty smooth sailing. But yeah, the, the court design, the court installation, that was definitely the biggest hurdle. I agree with you on the court design, court installation, all that. It's really hard. But I think you're probably underselling yourself a bit on the product selling itself where you are on the Gold Coast and when you opened. You know, like I feel like early days would have been tough yards and, and educational piece towards you know, making people cross over from tennis to paddle, not as multicultural as Melbourne or Sydney. Was that a factor or am I just making that up? No, yeah, you're 100% right. That, that definitely was a tough one. We, we were lucky that we're, uh, I guess, embedded in the biggest tennis academy in Queensland and potentially Australia. So we get a lot of foot traffic, hey? But in saying that, hey, you'd be surprised how many people actually just come to paddle, completely bypass the tennis, just actually come to our site at Carrara just to play paddle. Uh, and that could be done a few ways. I think word of mouth is probably the biggest thing uh as i said before i think the product of paddle really does sell itself but you definitely need those people involved in your club who are spreading the good word of paddle plus great people involved in the operational and i guess the running day-to-day -day of the club to help the club grow yeah totally and we, we were talking about that before too what a big difference you know a good operator makes um and and matt was talking about numbers around you know how many players it takes to make you know you break even 
Um, and so we were talking about that a little bit, like when was your break-even point? How many years did it take to get to that break-even point? As I said, in all honesty, we had to double down on our courts to hit the break-even point. So when we went to four courts, that really kicked it off. So at the moment, we're at about 110 members who are all on uh, a monthly subscription, and we'll get anywhere from 150 to 200 people through each month as well playing on top of our existing members. Wow, that was amazing. Roscoe, if you look at the profile of your members or what we call now active players because some clubs don't run a membership model like your club Maddie in, in Melbourne what's the breakup do you think tennis players South American slash Spanish origin players or European players coming over from overseas and now living in Australia and just fitness fanatics or people who want a bit of fitness activity like an F45 type person if you had to break up your your grouping what would those rough numbers be in terms of percentage do you think in all honesty uh probably 12 to 18 months ago it would have been predominantly tennis and squash players we have at the club over the past 12 to six months there's been a, a massive boom in one obviously the overseas market due to international travel opening up and two just your people who just want to get out and play a racket sport the amount of new inquiries we get each week from people who have no racket sport experience they're just looking for a fun engaging sport to play it's countless hey we've actually had to create a new social night and a whole new grading system to facilitate these players with uh with very very minimal racket sport experience the australian open was a real good showpiece for the sport that that's probably one i mean the fact that was on free-to-air tv is huge the the fact tennis australia are now involved i think legitimizes the sport in a way and three yeah i think a lot of a lot of word of mouth hey as i said before i think word of mouth is your your biggest uh your biggest selling point we've got a, a great core group of 106 members who have friends or I guess social media connections and the, the number of uh, I guess people coming to play the sport who have come from a non-racket sport background uh, would probably be attributed to those those things I mentioned. You mentioned social media that that's a huge factor for marketing the sport now because the amount of snippets and out of cage shots you'll probably be in a couple of those highlight reels I'd imagine going forward but the <laughs> amount of the amount the amount of uh, snippets that people send around now not just on the on the whatsapp groups for example behind behind that sits behind your paddle club but just generally yeah. is absolutely flying around everywhere now that, that there's so much content now with incredible rallies great trick shots out of cage stuff going on baffles uh, people how on earth this could be it's like watching the Cirque du Soleil of, <laughs> of racket sports watching all these people running around everywhere doing these crazy things and it just gets if people haven't seen it just just google in best points paddle p-a-d-l and and off you go and you'll see the most incredible points with uh, unbelievable shots going on. And it I, gets people excited about try trying something and coming down and having a go, I reckon. I agree. I agree. And that's a space I think that we really try to do well at Paddle Gold Coast. We try to have a really strong presence on social media. Uh, and I guess not just that as well. Like if you scroll through our social media, you not one person isn't smiling. Uh, I mean, the, the sport itself and, and the way it's portrayed the way we try to portray it is very inviting, very social, very welcoming, uh, and just full of happy people. So, yeah, the spectacular shots are great to attract people, um, but also like a positive, fun environment or vibe on your social media is super important too. And what would you say if you had to give one key ingredient that you got right, if you have to nail it down, whether it's the coach, the location, someone behind driving it, what would you say was the key thing if you had to, if you had to nail it down? Two key things. One is controllable two is a little bit harder to control location obviously is is key but but quite tough to control given some of the 
the hurdles and red tape it comes it comes around I guess getting a site. Um, but two, I've been I've been very very lucky to have some great people work for me at the club. Hey, and uh, Matt uh, Burrell, you probably know them all. We've had Diogo who helped out great. We've had Oscar that helped out great. We had Mark from Spain, and now we've got Tony. Um, I've had a really really good team of of people of paddle people help me and uh, paddle people are passionate people. Hey, if you get the right people in your club, they're passionate. Uh, they're only going to help your business go from strength to strength. There's no shortage, Roscoe, of of good people around the world that are obsessed with the paddle who want to come out to Australia. So yeah, you can fill those positions probably five times over if you wanted to, I'd imagine. Oh, I couldn't, couldn't agree more, buddy. Paddle seems to attract some really great people. Uh, given the three people on this call, I think that's a testament to that. <laughs> totally. And, and uh, it doesn't seem that you're bad at recruiting good doubles partners either. They recruit me, buddy. They recruit <laughs> me. I have to tell people no constantly. But uh, I've been very lucky to have, uh, <laughs> have some pretty good doubles partners over the past few years. We were talking about the seniors tour. Are you over 35? I'm not. I actually was lucky enough to coach the Australian seniors team in Las Vegas last year at the World Championships. Matt Burrell was a part of that. And I, uh, I'm actually known as Australia's most decorated paddle coach, if it goes on how well your, your on, on representative team has done. Absolutely, mate. That's fact. Fact check. Okay. Ross, one. Ross, Roscoe, you're also known as Australia's most narcissistic paddle coach, but that's cool, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, got one more question for your expansion plans. And on the back of that, any advice you have for any club owners, tennis operators, independent operators, anybody else who want to get into paddle, what would you say to them? I'm hoping they're not competing with you right next door, so just generally in Australia. Yeah, so yeah, there are expansion plans this year. Uh, we're in the process of potentially adding one more court to Paddle Gold Coast, uh, as well as looking at a secondary site down southern suburbs of the Gold Coast. So that's my personal expansion plans. Any advice I would give to people getting into the market? Yeah, look, I think, I think as I said before, location is, is critical. I think you need a minimum, minimum of three courts and get the right people. Reach out to, to the people who are involved in the sport in this country already because uh, we, we, we've been through it, hey? We've, uh, we've been through the, the hard times and the good times and I guess we, we're more than happy to help, uh, I guess, other clubs or other, other people looking to invest in the sport get more clubs up and running in the country. Very Fantastic. true. And, and a lot of what you say there is, you know, just been echoed time and time again, but there's a reason for that. And, and as you say, get good people around you. Fun fact, Ross actually was the first person to give me a hit of paddle before we even started. We didn't have paddle courts. We didn't have a site. We took flight up to KDV and Ross put the first paddle racket in my hand. So that was that was my introduction to paddle. There we go. I think the sport attracts that, hey? I think whether it's getting people to play or uh, helping people, I guess, with plans to, to grow the sport, I think uh, that's a real, as I said, testament to the sport for sure. Totally. Thank you so much for your time today, Ross. It's been great chatting to you. And, uh, yeah, I was asking about the seniors because I was thinking I might take a trip up there, but I won't see you there. But I'll see you on the Gold Coast in July. Do you want to give that a quick plug? July, yeah. We have the Oz Paddle Tour Gold Coast leg, 21st to the 23rd of July. So we are the third leg of the Australian Paddle Tour this year. And yeah, hope to, I guess, have as many numbers as the recent event in Sydney had because the uh, the tour is definitely going from strength to strength. 
That's for sure. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks again for being on the show, mate, and we'll see you soon. All the best. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Thanks Roscoe. Anything else we need to cover off tonight? We've got a big tournament coming up. It's actually a testament to the growth of Paddler Game, which we talked about before. We've got the first inaugural seniors event coming up. That's going to be at Paddle Sydney, which is at Tennis World, down there with Scott Riley again in Sydney. And that's April 21 to 23. What we mean by seniors, and I should say we're masters, not seniors. It sounds a lot better, to be honest. Seniors slash masters will be on 21 to 23. So it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We've got mixed doubles going on uh, with a players party and a fun barbecue on Friday night from 5 p.m. On Saturday, we have women's and men's 35 plus. So if you're 35 plus and you want to come down for a fun tournament, again, it's not the elite level only. It's everybody's invited. And we've got a 35 plus tournament for men and for women. 21 to 23 of April. It's going to be so much fun. And it's the first leg of the Aussie Paddle Seniors or Masters Tour. And we've got a couple other events following that. One, of course, in Albury as well, down there with Erin. And it's going to be great. We've got a second one at Paddle Indoor. We've got the Albury one uh, or Paguna one. And we've got uh, Roscoe again at Paddle Gold Coast in the KDB there. So we've got four events this year for the Seniors Tour. And it's going to be an absolute hoot, buddy. Awesome. Now, just to clarify, that 35 plus, that's not the temperature again, is it? <laughs> Because I'm not coming. You're coming down for sure. And uh, you can't bring your son this time. And you won't be able to hide behind him. So you'll get to play with another 35 Yeah, that's, that's, a good that's another reason I'm not coming. Cool. I'm going to try and make it for sure. Thanks, everyone, for listening today for the second episode. Hope you've uh, got something out of it. And like I said last month, if anyone's interested in the growth of paddle within their city or their community, or they have a tennis club that they think could get involved They've got a little bit of spare space and they want to have a chat to someone about probably some of the stuff we covered off today. Feel free to make contact to info at gameforpaddle.com.au. Next month, we're going to talk to Erin and Mark uh, from Albury. They'll be up and running, smiling and uh, having plenty to say about their new paddle tennis club, which will be exciting. And uh, no doubt we'll have big summary about what's going on around the traps within Australia, but also worldwide. Hopefully we've got lots of exciting news for you. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next month. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.